according to Luke chapter 16, starting with the 19th verse, hear ye the word of the Lord. <clears throat> there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg of you, father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, for the time that uh, we are going to spend together, I want to talk a little bit about recovering from regret. Recovering from regret. Regret, verb, to feel sad, repentant, or disappointed over something that has happened or been done, especially a lost or missed opportunity. Now. A feeling of sadness or repentance or disappointment over something that has happened or been done. Synonyms, to be sorry about, to feel contrite, to feel remorse about, to be remorseful, to rue, repent of, feel repentant about, be regretful about. Contrition, penitence, guilt, compunction, regret. Big old $5 word about feeling bad about something you did or did not do. I really can't think of a feeling more emotionally that affects me than the feeling of regret. Uh, sure, other things hurt. You know, somebody lies on you, somebody betrays you, talks behind you, talks about you behind your back, someone hurts you, steals from you, all of those things, they make you feel bad. But see, the thing about those things that's different to me than regret is that all of those, you can make somebody else the bad guy. It's something somebody else did. 
is something that somebody else did or didn't do that you can, you can blame them for something else. But when you feel regret, it's usually over something that nobody else did but yourself. It's, 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 it feels the worst because it's all about what you had to do or didn't do. And you get caught up sometimes in thinking, well, what could I have done? What could I have said? What could I have prepared for to have made this situation be better? Uh, if I could be transparent, I have regrets. I have things that I think about where I wish I would have made a different decision. I uh, wish I could have said something or not said something. I wish I could have done something or not done something. And then I can sometimes, if I don't stop myself, get into a cycle of thinking over and over and over again about what it is I did or didn't do. One thing that I, I realize that it affects me is in how I spend money. Uh, whenever I get some sort of large amount of money, a bonus check or, you know, something, a gift or something like that, I always think about how I'm going to spend that money when I get it. Why? Because I want to have something to show for it. Because I know that money comes and goes. It's a resource. It's a tool. There'll be times where you have all kind of money in your pocket, and there'll be times where you wish you could rub two quarters together. And if you haven't realized that or had to experience that, just keep on saying good morning. And eventually that will happen. Life is full of ups and downs. And so what I do whenever I get some sort of money that I didn't expect, I make sure that I have something to show for it. Because when the money's gone, I'll miss the money. But if the money's gone and I don't have something to show for it, I'm going to really feel bad about it. So always, anytime I get some sort of large sum of money or any kind of large resource, I make sure to, you know, pay down a bill, pay down a debt or something, or get rid of a debt, or, or get something that I can look at and say, that's where my money went. I have something to show for it so that I don't regret having the resource and not taking full advantage of the resource, that I don't regret having this opportunity and not take full advantage of it. There was a guy by the name of Ron, and Ron was working with two other guys named Steve, and they decided to put a company together making computers. And Ron owned about 10% of the company, and the other two Steves owned 45% each. Ron's 10% amounted to about $15,000. He pulled his 15000 out because he didn't think that the company was going to do anything worthwhile. And this company went on to become worth, at the time, more than $37 Because that Ron, his name is Ron Wayne, and that Steve, the two Steves that he was talking to were Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. And the computer company that they were trying to form was Apple. They make the MacBook and the MacBook Pro and the iPhone and the iPad and the iPod. $37 billion. That was how much his 15000 rather would have been worth. 
just a piece of it. And they ask him all the time when they want to interview him, do you have any regrets? And he says, no. I made my decision based on the information at that time. But he has his health. He says, I have my health, I have my family, and I have my integrity. And that's the best fortune you can ask for. I don't know if anybody necessarily believes he has no regrets about turning, missing an opportunity to turn 15000 into $37 billion. But the fact of the matter is, is if he's got clarity of heart and clarity of mind and what he did, we can't really know what's going on inside his head. All we can do is look at it from hindsight and outside, and they might have been messing up stuff real bad. Or he might have been messing up stuff real bad, and him still, still being a part of the company would have never moved it on to the next level. You never know. But we tend to be real good at being hindsight perfectionists, Monday morning quarterbacks, somebody that looks at what everybody else is doing and saying, well, I would have done it better, or can't you see what's going on now, and causing other people to regret. But people have regrets. And Jesus is sitting here talking in the part that we had, the part before what we read. He's talking to the disciples and the Pharisees about the relationship with money and people. And the fact that we put too much value on money sometimes. And because we put too much value on money sometimes, we end up making decisions that we regret. We end up valuing people that we may not need to value. And he's saying that not that there's something bad with money. One of the most misquoted scriptures I ever hear is when they say that money is the root of all evil. That ain't what the text says. Uh, uh, the text says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not necessarily that the money is a bad thing, but how you treat it may end up taking you to do something that you regret. And Jesus is trying to explain to these people what they're valuing versus what they need to value. And, and as with many times with Jesus, when he says something, people don't necessarily understand it. So he's got to say it again. And so he tells uh, a parable about a shrewd manager. And then he talks about serving God and mammon. And then he talks about uh, uh, for, uh, the divorce and all these different things. And people are still not getting it. So he goes to Lazarus. Jesus is trying to explain it. And I find it interesting that, that uh, he goes to this parable. Because in this parable, Lazarus is the only character in the parable that we have recorded that has a name. If you go back and look at all the other parables that Jesus tells, it's always the man and the farmer and the, the bride and the bridegrooms and all of these things. But Lazarus has a name. And I find it good that Lazarus has a name because Lazarus is a beggar. And so while we may not give people a name, Jesus gave him a name. 
Let me, let me come down your road just a little bit today. It's not going to be too many amens, I don't think, today, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. When you pull up to the stoplight and get that laser focus straight ahead because you don't want to see the person on the edge of the street holding a sign. We value what we think a person makes. And if we don't think they make anything, or if we don't think that they are up to our snuff, or up to our standards, we don't even look at them. We don't even act like they exist. Furthermore, even if these people are of some value, meaning they have a, a, a job and a car and a house and some place to stay, if we think they dress like they don't have those things, we treat them to the side. You look like a bum. We place no value, but Jesus puts a value on the person. And when he has this value on the person of all the Bible, all the parables that he says, Lazarus has a name. And so if Jesus saw fit to give this person a name, if Jesus saw fit to address this person, we ought to do the same. When he talks about what's the greatest commandment to love, your, love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the second law is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody's your neighbor. Everybody is your neighbor. And so if Jesus can give him a name, if Jesus can elevate his status, we ought to at least be able to treat these people like human beings that they are. Amen. And so Jesus gives him a name, and he is struggling. He is struggling. Uh, 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 the text says that, that he, he's, laid at the, he's laid at the gate and covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Uh, when they talk about what fell from the rich man's table, um, that's not necessarily eating sloppily. You know, you're getting the fried chicken and stuff is kind of falling off. That's not what they talk about when the text says eating from what fails, what fell from the table. Uh, what they're talking about at that point is when the people ate bread during those times or people ate food, rather, during those times, they didn't have napkins. Napkins and, and handkerchiefs and all that kind of stuff didn't really come during that time. What they did to wipe the, to wipe the grease off of their hands and to wipe the grease off of their mouth is they took bread and used that to wipe the hands so it would soap up the, the, the grease and, and all of that and the dirt. And that's what they threw under the table. And so Lazarus was struggling so much that he would, would, would wait to eat that. You'll do anything when you're hungry. You'll do something you may regret later. But you make the decision based on what that time is. And they were so hungry that he was willing to eat bread that somebody had used to wipe grease off of their mouth and hands. And it says that the dogs would lick his sores. And the dogs, that was what dogs ate. They didn't, dogs were not pets during that time. They treated dogs like they, they thought of dogs rather like they thought of pigs. The only reason the man would have dogs is for security. 
And the only people that would get close enough to a dog is somebody that had to feed it. This was his home security system. And so this bread that he was hoping to get was not bread that you could go to Randall's or Kroger and go on the bread aisle and pay some money and get back. He had, Lazarus had it so tough that this is what he had to eat. And then one, one scholar said that dogs in the biblical and rabbinic traditions were almost as unclean as pigs. Both Isaiah and Matthew talk about this, and the only people that would approach it were that. And so one of the assumptions is, is that the rich man needed dogs because he needed a security system. Yet those wild dogs, which no one would but their handlers approach, had more sense than most people and saw this man was sick and weak and went to lick his wounds. So if we won't take care of our own people, the dogs have better sense than us. And so we go through this whole thing of I, I, I regret, and there are things that I regret. I regret that I don't treat everybody better. I regret that I don't work on certain things, and so we all have things to regret, and one of the things that we have to regret is how we treat the least, the last, and the lost. And then I look in the text, and it says that both the rich man and Lazarus die. Didn't matter how many degrees you have. Doesn't matter what kind of job you work. Don't matter how many people think you are the best thing since sliced bread. It doesn't matter what else is going on. We all are going to have to die. And that grave is the great equalizer. You can't take it with you when there are plenty of civilizations that tried. But what happens? That stuff is still there and you gone. You can't enjoy it. And then Lazarus goes, as some text says, to the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man goes to Hades. Hell. The place where the fire does not cease and the worm does not quench. He goes there. And so here you have this thing where somebody was above one person. And now the stuff has happened. Now the roles have been switched. What does the adage say? Be careful how you treat people on the way up. Because you might have to see them on the way down. Just because you got a little bit of a promotion or a little bit of a position don't mean that you can treat everybody below you worse than that. Or think that they are worse off than you because you never know what will happen. You might be training your boss. You might just be teaching your eventual teacher. So you need to be able to treat everybody with respect or else you'll regret it. And so here you have the man who thought he was above and walked past this man because he sat outside his gate. That means he sat right by this man's house. And unless this man never left the house, he would have had to have seen him several times. Never helped him. And now... The roles are reversed, and they call it the bosom of Abraham because back in those times, they, the, the father Abraham from Genesis, 
the father of three great religions. You have Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all saying that they have direct descendancy or they're direct descendants of Abraham. He was that much of an important person. And so people thought when they died that, of course, Abraham was going to be in heaven and the best place to sit would be next to him. So even that's why Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and he tells them uh, sitting in the bosom of Abraham or sitting next to Abraham, he's been promoted. And the rich man has been demoted. And he's sitting in hell and it's hot and it's burning. And he doesn't know what to do and he looks up and he can see across this chasm. Lazarus, the person who he walked by pretended like didn't exist, gave him the scraps off the table after he finished washing his, wiping his hands and mouth with it. Here this man is sitting in the, the bosom of Abraham and he's under torment. You got to be careful how you treat people. And the rich man still hasn't learned his lesson. Here you have him sitting and looking at Lazarus in, in, the, in, in, in the bosom of Abraham, and the first thing that he says is, is Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus. Have pity on me and send Lazarus. The rich man still ain't learned his lesson. Here he is in torment in hell, and the first thing he's trying to get somebody to do is get this beggar, the person that was a beggar on earth, to go run some errands for him. What does Lazarus have to do with cooling, his, cooling him off? Why would you tell him to send him? Why? Because you ain't learned your lesson. You still think you are above. Go send this errand boy to come take care of me even though I'm burning in hell. Because even though I'm burning in hell, I'm rich and I still got more than Lazarus, so I need him to come do some errands for me. Ah, uh, but Clarence Jordan, one who, did, uh, who was famous for, for narrating the, the parables narrated them in a in a in a in a in a, uh, a work called the Old South, and I love the way that he narrated this parable when he did it. But he said in Clarence, this is Clarence Jordan narrating the idiom of of these parables. He said, "Lazarus ain't gonna run your errands no more, rich man." He still has not learned his lesson. He still thinks he can get people to do what he did because he is not really feeling the regret just yet. And then Abraham calls him son. He called out to Abraham, Father Abraham, I need help. And Abraham replied, son, something I've learned about regret is just because you are in the family does not mean you are exempt from the consequences. I love you, but you still going to have to learn this lesson. You still a part of the family, but you still going to have to learn this lesson. Sometimes pain is enough to make you get an ear. Sometimes actually having to go through the struggle is where you learn your lesson. 
where you actually learn and get the full understanding of what it is that you regret. Because if you come in and help them all the time, sometimes they don't realize what's really going on. So he calls him Father Abraham, and he doesn't say, you ain't my child. He clearly says, son, but you still got to learn your lesson. There's another adage that says uh, heat plus concentration equals performance. And that heat is the punishment. That heat is the pain. That heat is the pressure. Sometimes you need that pressure for you can fully understand the multitude of your decision. And so he calls him son and he says, I love you, but I can't do much to help you in this present situation. You are my son. I am your father, but you're still going to have to go through this to understand the full weight of what it is you've done and really, truly regret what it is you've done. And this starts the rich man to open up. Not a lot, just a little bit. Ah, Because he says, I beg you, father, to send Lazarus. There it is again, send Lazarus. Still trying to make this man work for him. But he says to send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they may not also go to this place of torment. He's still, he's no longer thinking about himself. But he's still only thinking about his family. Me and my family and that's it. Me and mine, we good. Y'all got to figure out what y'all got to do on your own. So the regret has opened him up just a little bit. But he's still only looking at his family. And he's still only looking to get Lazarus to work for him. And he says that he wants Lazarus to go back and be witness to him. Uh, so that they can get the word of God. We all are somebody in this parable. At different times in our lives, we've been the rich man. At different times in our lives, we've been Lazarus. At different times in our lives, we've had to be Abraham. And again, I say, if you haven't been any one of them, just keep on saying good morning. And it will come. Keep on living and these things will happen. We need sometimes, and we don't think we need sometimes. We are the recipients of, of, of recipients of blessings sometimes, and sometimes we are doling those blessings out. But it is clear, the scriptures, we have the time. We have the Lazarus in our lives, and we are walking by and pretending we don't exist. We have the rich men's in our lives where we, we walk by and, 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 and they need to learn a lesson. We have the Abrahams in our lives sometimes, and we need to be able to teach these people the lessons. We ought not look at the Bible for heroes and villains. We ought to look at the Bible for friends. Because sooner or later, we will find ourselves in each one of these situations, and we'll have to deal with regret. Uh, there was a study done that, that gave some, some, some surprising data in the study. 
and it was talking about deathbed regrets. They interviewed nurses who dealt with the terminally ill people. And, and nobody in there, when they were reporting what it was that they regretted at those times, nobody reported wanting to go bungee jumping or, or, or going, uh, going on some big excursion or taking a cruise or going on some sort of vacation. Nobody regretted any of that. Matter of fact, one of the nurses that specialized in taking it was recording. She, she wrote down what most people said they regretted as a nurse because she had to deal that nobody regretted marriage or any of that. Uh, the, the, the top five regrets that this particular nurse discovered, number, the, the fifth one was, I wish I had let myself be happier. People admitted that they feared change in their lives. So they pretended like they were happy and content when in fact they wished they'd allowed themselves to laugh more and quite, out, quite frankly be sillier. The next one was, I wish I'd have stayed in touch with my friends. People feel badly about being so caught up in their own lives that they let some of the important friendships go to the side. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Many a times we've gotten in situations and held our peace when we probably should not have. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And the number one biggest regret was I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected me to be. They said that this was the most common regret of all. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and died knowing that it was due to choices they had made and not made. That was the biggest regret. I would add another regret to this, not forgiving people. The children's minister at my home church, Elaine Ellis, said time and time again that not forgiving someone was like drinking poison yourself and expecting them to die. You holding on to the art and the anger and the pain and wanting them to, to learn their lesson and learn what they did to you and they probably not even thinking about it anymore. Might have forgot. And so they are, and as my mom would say, living in your head rent free. That time that you could have been spending thinking about other things, you thinking about them. And you regret it. And you got to deal with that regret just like this rich man is dealing with eternal regret. But with regret comes relief. Let the church say relief. The feeling of reassurance and relaxation, a flowing release from anxiety or distress, assistance, especially in the form of food, clothing, or money given to those who need, are in need of difficulty. So the relief is, is while you still have breath in your body, let's take a breath check right quick. You, while you still have breath in your body, there is still time to turn it around. 
Uh, they say that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. So you still got time to make it right. You still got time to forgive people. You still got time to do work. You still have time to turn it around. It's not how you start, but how you finish. And as long as you got breath in your body, you have time to make an awesome finish. And so when you think about those things to regret as I come to a close, I'll give you a few points on it. The first thing you want to do is there's something that you regret is learn your lesson. Let the church say learn your lesson. It may sting right now. It may sting real bad about whatever it is you missed, whatever missed opportunity it has, whatever relationship it was that you had that kind of fell off, whatever it is. It may sting, but I guarantee you once the dust settles, once the smoke clears, there is something you can learn from that. There is something you could have done that would have made that better. And the best part about it is, is when that situation comes back around again, if you took the time to learn your lesson, it won't happen again. The next thing you can do in order to get, get, get deal with relief, rather, I mean deal with regret, is to do something about it. Staying stagnant sometimes is just as bad as the offense that was done. If there is something that you regret, some sort of indecision, some sort of poor decision, you can do something about it. You can go learn, you can go make some action, but don't just sit there moping about the situation. Don't just sit still saying, woe is me. Look at how I messed up. Look at what it is that I uh, didn't do right. Do something about it. Learn from it and do something about it to change the situation. Next thing you can do to deal with regret is forgive yourself. Release and let yourself go from what it is. You, you learn from it. You do something better. To, you do something about it to make, make the situation better and don't hold yourself accountable. I, I would be willing to bet that most of the times when we are, we are worried about something we've done, or there is something that we've done that is, that is not pleasing in God's sight or is not pleasing in other people's sight, we probably spend more time thinking about it and punishing ourselves about it than it actually did to do the deed. Spend more time beating ourselves over the head about it when it's something you might have done 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, last week. Replaying it over and over in your head and getting what they call analysis paralysis. Hurting yourself more times than the actual deed. So forgive yourself. Release yourself and let it go. And understand that you still have time. There is nothing more precious than time. They can print money. They can there's land forever. We've not used up all the land that we have. There are resources forever, but the one thing that you spend and can never get back is time. You can't hold time. You can't, you can't, you can't make more time. But you still have time. And no matter what situation it is, you still have time. Everybody gets the same amount of 24 hours in a day. It's all about what you do with it. So you still 
have time. And then there's one part of the text that I kind of take issue with, but uh, it's there. And understanding that we, 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 we need to learn our lesson and, and we need to do something about it and we need to forgive ourselves and we need to realize that we still have time. But he talks about if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets. When he's talking about Moses and the prophets, Jesus is talking about the word of God. You have the word of God in front of you and if you won't listen to that, you won't listen to nobody else. But then he says... If they do not listen to the Bible, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. One of the little tricks I've learned in, in seminary uh, was that various authors had certain things they paid attention to, and the things that they thought were important were always last. And so if there's a passage of text, you want to pay attention to what they put in the last passage of text because that is what they put importance on. That's why when you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's why certain things happen in different orders during their things. And one of the things that happens in different orders that I pay attention to is when Jesus is tempted. Because in Matthew and, and uh, Mark just says Jesus was tempted and and he went on. And in Mark, they actually talk about, I mean, Matthew, they actually talk about the temptations. But in Luke, they put something important last. And so he talks about Jerusalem as the last temptation when it's the second temptation in Matthew. Why did I say that, Pastor? I'm going somewhere with it. I'm glad you asked. What Luke puts on importance in Jerusalem is the resurrection. And so the issue that I take in, in, in the New International Version, it says someone rises from the dead and, and, and uh, in certain translations it says resurrection, but that is not a resurrection. Uh, even when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that was not a resurrection. That was a resuscitation. What's the difference between a resurrection and a resuscitation? The resuscitation is temporary. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he still had to die again. So if this Lazarus, not the Lazarus, the Lazarus come forth because he was raised from the dead as well, but he still had to die again. But if this Lazarus as well was raised from the dead, it was only going to be a temporary situation. There's only one person I know that was raised from the dead and did not come back. There's only one person I know, and I don't know about you, but I think Abraham might have had it wrong when he said that they wouldn't be convinced if somebody raised from the dead. Because there was somebody that was raised from the dead, and he convinced me. And I like how the text says that he wore purple every day, the, the rich man, and lived a life of lavish. The purple was very important to those people at those times because purple uh, represented royalty. So I know somebody else that wore purple. I know somebody else that died for my sins. His name is Jesus, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate crucified dead and buried but the third day he rose from the dead 
and he rose with all power in his hand, so that whosoever shall believe it in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I got to tell, I'm not one to try to do violence to the scripture, but Abraham, I think, just had it wrong. There was somebody that could come back from the dead and convince us that to, to get right with Jesus. And his name was Jesus the Christ. Yeshua ben Joseph, Mary's baby, the lily of the valley, the bright morning star, Abraham, the, the, fa the father of men, the bishop of souls, the rose of Sharon, the wheel in the middle of the wheel, my blessed potentate, Jesus, the, the way maker, the mind regulator, the heart fixer, the doctor in the sick room, the lawyer in the courtroom, Jesus. He came back from the dead with all power in his hands. And because of that, I don't have to face death, hell, and the grave. Because of that, I don't have to be like the rich man and look at somebody and beg them to come drop a, a bottle, a little piece of water on my tongue. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.